Welcome to The Generalist, a podcast of Canadian occupational therapy perspectives. I'm your host, Jen Talbin I want to know what you want to hear. Connect with me at thegeneralistpodcast at gmail.com. Today is a conversation with Pamela Russell, leader of OT Works out of Vancouver, BC. She's been an active member of the CAO TBC Private Practice Business Network, and more recently, she's been a member of the BC Occupational Therapy Workforce Collaborative. She's been accepted by the Supreme Court of BC as an expert in areas of occupational therapy and assessment of cost of future care. Pamela's practice has focused primarily on mental health, concussion, and chronic pain, facilitating return to work and return to life. She's incredibly grateful for her team of creative, resourceful, and inspiring occupational therapists at OT Works and the amazing culture of collaboration they've grown together. Welcome, Pamela. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So you run OT Works, which is based out of Vancouver and Vancouver Island. That's right. I've been running it for 19 years now. 19 years. You want to tell me a little bit about your team and your work? Sure. I'm super excited to talk about my team. So we're just over 15 occupational therapists and we work in the community in private practice. We go into clients' homes, workplaces, communities, help them get back to their lives and uh, generally work with insurance companies, but all kinds of different pairs. And um, we've just recently expanded to Vancouver Island. So that's really fun for us. But uh, the team is totally why I do this, why I started OT Works. I love collaborating. I love learning from people. I love people thriving, succeeding. So it's, it's a thrill that I get to work with such an amazing team. Wow, 15 people. So with a team that big, how do you stay as a unit and how do you keep connecting and collaborating? That's an awesome question because it's always first and foremost in my mind. And it's, it happens so easily when you're in private practice. You're in your silo all the time. You're working from your home, from your car. Um, but we really make a conscious effort. So we have an internal portal where there's clinical discussions happening all the time. We have three different meetings a month that are all optional, but one's, uh, we call it Thirsty Thursday, where you come join us for a beverage. We've got um, a meetup in our living room. We're a small enough company, we can still do that. Uh, or you're on video conference if you're out of town, but uh, we get together, we talk about what's happening in the marketplace, clinical questions, we have education. And then we have a coffee talk as well, which I don't participate in. I have to keep myself away from it, but it's a chance for the therapist to just share stories, scenarios they're struggling with, um, support each other and really share ideas. So those are just some of the ways, but we're constantly trying to find ways to really help the team connect in different ways. That sounds awesome. Do you find it's all about like a balance between workplace support and then like connecting as people? Or do you find there's a, a different kind of mix? Is there anything else that you really focus on including? Yeah, well, I really wanted to make sure people have a chance to you know, discuss on a professional level and get guidance and direction. I sort of see my role as setting a bar that's quite high and then helping us navigate that to make sure we are meeting those standards. But the emotional support is huge. I mean, I've even changed our orientation process in recent years to say, what are the tells that suggest you're struggling? What can I look for so I can reflect to you if I'm seeing something or getting worried? And so it, it's actually like entrenched in our process because it's, it's hard work. And I really want to make sure people are emotionally well, enjoying it, thriving the way they are so capable of doing. 
that's such a new perspective that I think would benefit a lot of other companies. Mm. Do you ever do any um, business coaching? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I, I'm a total introvert and I, I uh, struggle to toot my own horn, but I, like I said, with the team, I will rave and rave. And so, it, the, and the ideas come from them. That's a big thing for us is just everyone's ideas are heard. We really value everyone's voice. And so that's how the company keeps getting better. That's all these ideas. They're not all mine. They're, they really come from the team. And so we just continue to evolve and, and improve. I guess I want to ask about your hiring process. How did you weed out the people that are weed in the people that you want? And how did you get a team that's ready to connect and collaborate and really work together? Because it sounds like you have to be pretty vulnerable to be at OT Works. That is a really good insight, Jen. <laughs> well, I got advice when, so the company was eight or nine months old when I purchased it with a friend. So that's kind of the funny beginning. It's a bunch of OTs. We all knew each other. And so had this great opportunity. It was just a jump start to the company. My colleague and friend, she'd gotten into medical school. So she was deciding what to do with her baby, her new company. So another friend and I purchased it. And really, we got a few contacts and some advice is really what we got, which I really valued and appreciated. But one of the pieces of advice was work with who you like. Hmm. And I... I really trust my gut when I'm meeting therapists, you know, just if we connect right away, if we share that passion, I try to show my own vulnerability um, to some extent. And I think that that's really important, just being genuine, admitting that we make mistakes. So it's even in our, in our questions, in our interview. So we do actually ask specifically, you know, describe a time when you made a mistake and how did you handle that? And so we really, we hire for the people, for who they are, for the, the characteristics that they bring. I can train someone how to write a GRTW plan in about five minutes. So it's really <laughs> about who you are as a person and um, that connection. So you feel it pretty quick. I think most people would. Do you have a physical location or are you based out of your cars and in the community? We are totally in the community. So therapists are working from home to write the reports, make their phone calls, although they can be in their backyards. So we have some great chances now because we're connecting um, through Zoom teams, all these different platforms. And so I'm getting to see therapists in their backyards and in their elements, <laughs> coffee shops, exactly in their cars. So we are out and about. But like I said earlier, we do meet in our living room. So we jokingly call my home headquarters. This is OT Works headquarters. Love and it. so we hang out here once a month and people come and go here sometimes as well. But no, we don't have a clinic. Has its pros and cons for sure. But we end up being super creative with what, um, for example, if a client's not comfortable meeting in their home. We have to really think about that and uh, find a way to connect with them in a place that's still meaningful and, and feel safe and comfortable for them. What are some of the unique locations you've met clients at? I've not done super exciting things. So like I'll meet at their lawyer's office, but it can be a friend or family's home. It can be outside. We meet in a library, uh, for example. So just find coffee shops are often, I mean, not so much since COVID, but it was kind of a go-to because it feels social. It feels there's people around and it's actually really great for assessment because we can really get a sense of how they're handling the noise and the lights and are they comfortable in public places. So it's, it actually works for both parties. Definitely. Do you do uh, many outdoor or nature-based kind of meeting spots or do you find the concrete jungle is a better place? No, we, um, what I love about working in the community is we can be as creative as 
we, we want to be. And so the only limit is our imagination. So as long as we can sort of break it down, how is this important for their recovery? We have some good clinical reasoning to support it. There's so many things that we can do. So I've gone hiking with clients. I've done hot yoga with clients. My colleagues have done sort of mock-up obstacle courses at a playground to work with corrections officers, making so french fun. fries. There's, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. And it's, it's exciting and it makes our job really more pleasant, but also it's way more fun for clients. They don't have to go to a, a stifling place or be cooped up at home. They can do something mm-hmm. interesting and different. It feels more like care than just healthcare, right? Like it's you really nurturing. It. You got it. It's real right. life. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It sounds like you have a pretty diverse team that they can do all these different things. How do you find that balance between, I know it's really important to work with people that bring out different strengths and, you know, you don't want everyone to have the same kind of thinking. It's not going to expand your team. How do you find someone you like, but has those differing strengths? Mm, that's a really great question. I, I want to reflect on it more. I think it's an, an openness is really what it is. So there has to be something connecting you and something in common, but yet Like, for example, I want to be challenged. I expect my team to be better than me. And if I just wanted to replicate myself, we would be really stagnant and that'd be really boring and we wouldn't get anywhere. So I love that people can bring something different. For example, one of the things I look for when I'm hiring is that they've traveled or worked in faraway places because I think that just adds a richness. I've never worked in India, but seems like half my team has. (laughs) So I don't know. I think just that diversity and background is really, really important. And then just for me and the leadership team at OT Works to be really open to challenge, open to new ideas. I think that's, that's the key. Awesome. How do you connect clinicians with clients? Is it a random sort? Is it trying to connect people that are alike? Do you just go on who has expertise in one area? Well, as we've grown, it's had to change a little bit. I think initially when it was just maybe three or four of us, it'd be really trying to match a personality to a personality. Mm. Um, It's not as easy to do that anymore. We don't have the same connections to fee payers. Just the ICBC and WorkSafe have changed their approach to to giving out referrals. So we don't have that connection. And then what I've kind of decided that is as a team, I love for everyone to have as much Uh, diversity in their caseload as possible. Obviously, they can decide. We have just contractors, so they determine their caseload. But I love personally having lots of different kinds of clients, different kinds of approaches that I'm needing to use. So we encourage our therapists to have a variety. So it's a little bit random, I guess, in the end, my long-winded answer to your (laughs) question. So it depends on, you know, if there's a specific specific request from our fee payer or just geographically because we are sort of spattered all around. So we want to make sure our costs for driving are low, but nobody wants to be in their car more than they need to. But other than that, it's a little bit matching skill set too. So for example, someone who's got a lot of experience in concussion, it's a very challenging case with concussion. There are a few key therapists we'd probably recommend for them, but Mm -hmm. otherwise, it's like, okay, j- jumping into the file and learning and growing with that particular situation. And then I guess you can, can use the experts on your team or absolutely who might identify with their meaningful occupation. If you have a Got hockey it. player on the team, then you talk to them about how do I get back to this or what's a really important skill that we should work on, right? 
Absolutely. So there's lots of the sharing and collaboration becomes really key. And so the team is just constantly loading up our portal with new resources and ideas and treatment plans and all kinds of stuff. So it's rich. There's lots of experience to learn and grow with. How do you manage all those different resources? I could only think about how big your portal is or your, your resource <laughs> file. If it was a paper file, it'd probably take up most of your living room meeting space. How do you navigate that? Well, it is definitely a challenge. We've had the portal for just maybe six or seven years now. So it's not like it's been around forever, but it is bursting at the seams. And so I think just adding resources was a first step. And we now need to start like sort of clawing back things and saying, okay, what are the best examples of this kind of approach or the best assessment tools for this challenge area? So that's kind of the phase we're next going into. We just um, changed platforms. So we have more space now, but oh. now we've got we've to wean it down. And so I think that's going to be a bit of, I think a little committee to maybe go through that and a bit of debate or discussion around best practice will come about from that. And then we can really make sure we have the best tools available. Awesome. That sounds great. Uh, can we get access to this? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Join OT Works. <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Hey, generalists. If you want more OT conversations, check out otpodcast.com for a listing of occupational therapy podcasts from around the world. That's otpodcasts.com. Right now, you are working with your husband. What has that process been like? It's been remarkably good. <laughs> and most people are like waiting to hear it's really bad. I think a but, lot of partners right now are in the same space or working in close quarters, not even on the same projects and are finding some, some stresses and some strains that they did not expect. How do you make it work on a day-to-day -day all the time? Well, ironically, we don't get to connect enough. So we have separate offices in our, in our home, which is very, we're very lucky to have that. But between that and two children, we don't actually connect enough. So we joke with our team that, you know, just because you've told Jason or Pamela, don't expect the other to know that we do <laughs> need to both be advised of things. But I, I love working with him. And I think we entered that partnership, I guess, in uh, very cautiously, because it was about, about six years ago. And he, he previously had worked for a national accounting firm and business consulting. And then he worked for two local health authorities, doing more the business side. So enterprise risk, mm -hmm. policies, and my It's got to have on your team. Yeah. So it really yeah. was looking at what do I need? What is he looking for? So he'd been sort of going through this process of trying to find work that's really meaningful, really according to his values. And he'd moved from uh, Vancouver Coastal Health Authority to First Nations Health Authority. It really meant a lot to him to find meaning in his work, even the mm -hmm. business slant on things. And I had an incredible need with my business partner who had been my best friend, moved away, my accountant and bookkeeper was leaving. And so I was really struggling. Mm -hmm. And so we did the internal reflection. What do we both bring? How will we do this? Um, how do we respect each other and what we bring? And it's a total yin and yang. Like it has wow. worked. Anything we do is so much better. We have a common foundation and value system, but we see things from very different perspectives. And I think it makes it really rich and exciting and always better because we do it together. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It just sounds 
um, like it's a key part of your family as well. So it's kind of nice that that was reflected in your professional relationship. Yeah. I feel very, very fortunate, incredibly grateful. Oh, that's so nice. I just all warm and fuzzy. I'm like, I don't want to talk to you about anything else now. Um, <laughs> so leadership wise, it sounds like you're doing a great job. Do you carry a caseload as well? Or is it full-time managing the team? No, I, I love what I do. I really, really see it as such a privilege, such a joy. Um, I could not imagine not having clients. So um, for the longest time, I was basically doing 100% caseload and then <laughs> adding things on top. Uh, that slowly has weaned a little bit. I'm probably at about 40, 30 to 40% of my time is spent with clients still. Um, it, it probably could, I could probably keep myself very busy um, with my great team, but I, I'm not willing to let that go. And I think it helps me know what's going on, what's happening, what's the real situation. I, I, I do see my role as sort of setting a bar, like this is what we do to provide best quality service to our clients. And if I got my head in the clouds and I don't know what's going on, like I won't be at all realistic with that. So I think um, for so many reasons, it's important. I keep seeing clients. How do you manage, do you get referrals just for you specifically? For a long time I did just because I'd been around so long <laughs> and so uh, and hopefully because I was doing some quality work but I um, yeah for a long time they would come asking for me I would say I'm so sorry I can't help you I'm too busy would you consider working with my colleague these are the great things about them and um, but over time they've established their own reputations mm -hmm. and connections so I see that much less now for sure yeah and do you find you're introducing more of the uh, referral to the OT Works team versus I can work with you. Do you think you your it. approach has shifted? Absolutely. As as the team has grown for a long time, it was Lori and I. You know, we were just friends. <laughs> so, would you consider working with Lori and I? But now it it is it's a, it's own entity now, and mm -hmm. so many people have contributed to it, and I I really want everyone to continue to um, benefit from it. You work with a bunch of different types of people, walks of life. Do you consider yourself a specialist in any area? No. Well, a specialist as a generalist. <laughs> so I think we share that in common, Jen. But um, yeah, I think as a new grad, I really felt like, okay, I want to be a specialist in something. I really want to you know, exert myself, my knowledge, my expertise. Um, and I immediately went into private practice. I've been doing return to work, vocational rehab for since my, my whole career. It's been a big component. And um, so that's an area I have lots of experience in. But I really think the strength comes from being a generalist. So just being able to adapt to so many different situations, so many different diagnoses, being able to figure things out on the fly or in advance of an assessment, for example, um, being able to connect with different teams in different areas and different specialties, uh, that takes so much um, diver um, adaptability, strength, knowledge, information seeking, <laughs> initiative. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that 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 takes a certain kind of person and skill set. Uh, so I really see being a generalist as being its own specialty. Yeah, I, I'm biased. I would totally agree with you. <laughs> I just like keeping it fresh too. Like if you see the same client or on a piece of paper, they look similar. I think it's sometimes it's hard to not fall into, okay, well that worked with somebody else or this is kind of my set protocol. So I love having people with all different kinds of concerns coming up or 
just different experiences in life because then you get to really be true to the profession and do the whole process and not try and skip a few steps and just make that really Absolutely. like curated care. It's um, it's a risk, I think, when you work with so many clients that you start to put them in little boxes. It's like, okay, this is that type of person, whether it's because of their diagnosis or something else. And um, yeah, we could really miss something important about who they are and who their core is and how to really tap into what motivates them and makes them thrive. I heard that being a generalist is a specialty, is a Pamela-ism um, for everyone <laughs> around the OT works office. Do you have any other Pamela-isms? The one that haunts my team the most, I would say, is go deeper. Go deeper. <laughs> go deeper. Or do too is another way I say it. Because um, so we use SOAP in our documentation, subjective objective analysis plan. And I really encourage the team to be super explicit and overt about what they're putting in their analysis. Because I just think from that, we can have meaningful plans that really make a change for the client. So if, for example, they say decreased motivation, I'm going to say due to, and might be due to fatigue, might be due to uh, depression symptoms, might be due to not connecting with their therapist. There could be lots of due to's. And if we really like go deeper and really <sighs> figure that out, then we can address it in some way or approach that potential challenge that the client is having uh, and be more effective. I love that. Do too. I, when you first said it in my head, I was like, do two, like do two assessments or like do two different versions of it? Like, what are you, where am do I going? Something else. Yeah. No, that's amazing. <laughs> well, like I said, I, poor therapist, because I just say it so many times when we're having our one-on-ones during orientation and mentorship and they say, I hear your voice. Do too. <laughs> do too. <laughs> it's like, oh no, I'm so sorry. But I, I think it's helpful. Hopefully it's helpful. Definitely. If they keep coming back, right? <laughs> They're still with me. I'll take that as a good sign. Oh, that's awesome. It sounds like you hear a lot of stories from your team and then from your own experience as you're still practicing. How do you manage hearing all of those different stories? Because I'm sure there's some, some challenging ones and some triggering ones and we're all humans. Mm -hmm. So when you're that open and vulnerable and connecting, how do you manage all of them? I think for the longest time, um, so the first nine years that I ran OT Works, it was with my best friend and partner. So Lori and I ran the business and we would just call each other all the time. And um, that was a really big support. I, I can't imagine having started in private practice without her. And um, it's funny because we would challenge each other in the opposite ways to what you would expect. So even things like, how many hours did you work this week? That's too much. Why are you doing that much? <laughs> so start to challenge each other. Nice. But her support was really, really important. And I think over time, I just um, be able to create a, a, a bit of a, an objectivity around it and seeing what I can do and what I can't do. So just over time, kind of learning that more. Um, but some, sometimes they just stick. And so um, really in recent years, I had this one client that really, if you don't mind me sharing, um, she, she's an amazing woman. And so uh, 
I'll tell you, she's a First Nations client. Um, before meeting her, I knew that she'd had a traumatic event at work. That's why I was involved in her care. And I knew that she'd had a history of abuse. So I knew that much, but that's really all I knew. Um, but just given that, I knew that it was going to be really important we connect. Like this is very emotional. All of this is very difficult work and needed to connect and so but I, I just knew there's also a big difference between us um, our backgrounds are so different how was I going to connect with her and so I threw out my assessment we just went for a walk in the rain in this big muddy field and shared stories and that's how we connected so it was really effective but that was probably one of my most challenging cases emotionally because over the course of us working together um, she shared lots she shared her her past and it was so painful and I really I, I take um, very authentically I take the responsibility to, to to a lot of the suffering that First Nations communities have and so really feeling even responsible for some of her personal suffering. And so it was really difficult. And she would even say, are you sure you don't need to talk to someone? Like this is hard <laughs> stuff. <laughs> she, she was very she was kind. checking in and, on you. <laughs> yeah, she was checking in on me, making sure I was okay. And um, so I did talk um, to my family, not about her situation so much, but just how I was feeling. But it was a story that was just so remarkable. Like I just felt like it was such a privilege to see her and witness her recovery. I learned so much about what it's like to be human. She was just, mm. she is such a resilient, strong, kind, like just her checking in on me um, yeah. says it all. She's just such a wonderful, wonderful person. And I learned so much. So that kind of story will always stick with me. And I share that because I just think I, it was a gift to me to be able to work with such a remarkable person. And hopefully it might make me a little bit better of a person, a bit better of an OT because of what I've learned through that. So I think talking stories, that is the biggest way to cope with the challenges for all of us. But in that particular case, it, it probably was one of my most difficult, um, but talking and sharing definitely made it worthwhile. Wow. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. On that theme, stories that stick with you, what else has stuck with you over the years? One in particular was a woman who, this goes back a white ways now, but she was, she worked in a jewelry store and had been held up and was really traumatized by that, understandably. And so I was working on exposure therapy. So she, it had, the anxiety had built up so much that she couldn't go anywhere near the store, couldn't go mm. to this part of town. And so we were starting further away and over time, gradually getting closer and closer. And uh, she was working with a psychologist and myself. And the final day just always will stand out for me because she was basically, this was the day she was going to cross the threshold, go enter the store and go right to the back of the store. So we'd been building up literally for months for this. But that day she knew it was like the biggest thing. The psychologist came, which is unusual. Usually they're doing their psychology thing in the office, but she came and so my client has me on one arm and the psychologist on the other <laughs> arm. This is not how you usually do exposure therapy, but these three women, arm in arm, crossed that threshold, went to the back of the store, and literally she was just elated. She was so proud. She was so mm. exhausted. <laughs> I, it really was like she'd run an ultra marathon. Like she was just so done, but so proud of herself. Mm. And so that, that just really stuck with me. I mean, I guess it's always those success stories, I guess, could be challenging stories too, but it's those 
remarkable, I don't know, finales that uh, I think are so inspiring. And, and I, I hope to, I try to hang on to them because they're so beautiful and inspiring. And I think that's one beautiful thing in community work or longer term relationships is you get that closure piece. That's what I find working in community as well. Whenever you're in more of that triage or acute care, I don't know if you get as many of the, as of those triumphant moments or those picture perfect kind of screenshots in your brain. So I think that's a beautiful thing that we get. I agree. Relationships. I I've sort of dabbled in the medical legal world and done some, some assessments and it's, it's challenging work. It's exciting work, but I, I miss the relationship, that connection that comes with repeated times together, seeing people in good times and bad. And it isn't always the beautiful bow at the end on the present. I love that, but still, you know how the story goes. You have more of a sense of their story. And so I, I love that relationship we can build in the community. I think it's so meaningful. Mm-hmm. Do you see like a, a hole that's being missed because of funding or are there clients that you really wish you could be serving and need to figure out a financial thing? Is there anything you want to move or shift on? I think we've been so lucky that there's already been great shifts in OT being acknowledged as helpful for mental health. Like that's mm-hmm. been a really beautiful big change I think Um, that's certainly my passion I Mm -hmm. call myself a mental health OT even though I work in the community it's just such a big part of my lens of how I view people and what their challenges are Um, so I love that that's been embraced I mean I could be just speaking for BC but I I do think across Canada there is a, a an acknowledgement of the value OTs bring to mental health and mental wellness um And I feel like I'm so fortunate to work in insurance. It's totally the opposite to what I initially thought that, oh gosh, I'll be fighting for everything and it's going to be such a battle, but my clients are well-served. I feel, I do think they, they really get what they need. Um, So I worry about people who aren't in the insurance system. So I kind of wish there was more opportunity for OT services to the general public um, through MSP here in British Columbia. Um, even through um, third party insurers. So just that people could get OT and access it more easily. I know that's a big part of what our association is working on is trying to you know, ask for OT, get OT, make it part of your benefits packages at work. Um, I think somehow creating more visibility and helping people know how to access it. And so maybe seeing it as small packages because what we how we bill for OT is different than other services it's 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 different and so um somehow making it more understandable and palatable and accessible to everyone you just have like three sessions to um you know figure out some strategies to manage depression periodically or something like that so just making it more accessible would be I think a great step forward cool yeah. Um, side note, if you have any clients that are wanting to work with you privately, um, if they just phone their extended benefits, almost every plan has OT in the background. Um, uh-huh. So it's a phone call and not even a fee to get oh their goodness. $400 in OT or whatever that, you know, like you get whatever between 350 and 500 bucks on PT, OT, Cairo, all that kind of stuff. Yes. You just fall onto that box. Ah, I thought it was dependent on the package that some would and some wouldn't. I've had five people phone in under like a two minute phone call and get the money. Yay. So that's, it's that's not direct good, bill. Yeah. That's still okay. icky, but they get 
they just send in their receipt and get it that's back. That's awesome so, news. I think just, that's evolving then. That's great. Yeah. So let your, let your clients know that it's worth a phone call to save them however much if they have Oh, it. for sure. And yeah. we do get clients calling us direct. And that's the first thing we ask. Do you have any any potential for funding approval and really encouraging them to seek that out. That's fantastic news. I'm so glad you told me that. All right, Pamela Russell from OT Works. <laughs> Are you ready for some rapid fire? I think so. What guides your practice? The client, who they are, where they are, their priorities. Um, I should say evidence. So I'll say close second is evidence. <laughs> How do you describe OT or your role? I see myself as a partner uh, and really facilitating the client to guide their health care setting, however they need to, and helping them find their way back to themselves. Oh, I like that. What advice would you give yourself when making a move in your career? I wouldn't move, so that's <laughs> the first thing. But I remember when I was about to start OT Works, and I... I was pretty nervous <laughs> and then I thought, what do I have to lose? I mean, really, I can just try it out and, and whatever happens, that'll be fine. And that's the advice I would give to any other OT is that just follow your heart, follow what inspires you and you will succeed. And if you don't try again, the, the world is your oyster. There's so many parts to OT, you will find your way. Right. And it's worth it to try out some other stuff. Like Absolutely. go for it. Just do it. How do you take care of you? I love to row. I've been rowing for 23 years. I loved the outdoors. So hiking, camping, and sharing a good laugh with the kids. <laughs> what about this work that fills your bucket? I just love seeing people succeed. So that could be my colleagues, could be my clients. I just want to see them soar. And um if I can be relieving a little bit of suffering along the way, that's really, really rewarding. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. You're so pleasant to talk to, Jen. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been so fun. Thanks to Pamela for the wonderful conversation and a big thank you to Louise for setting up this interview. Music in today's episode is by David Hyde. Thanks for tuning in. I would love to hear from you if you have any ideas for the show or if you'd like to be a guest. Please email me at thegeneralistpodcast at gmail.com or connect with me through the website at thegeneralist.podbean.com. That's The Generalist with a J.